This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Ward, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. All right, here we go. It is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, and the Seattle Sports app. Don't forget that. Plus all those podcast platforms, super pesky, wherever they are, we're there. We're here with you this morning, this afternoon, this evening, late at night, even though that still kind of skeeves me out a little bit. But it's good to be with you guys today. One day to go before training camp gets underway tomorrow. One way I always know that I'm frustrated is that I choose something to blame, even if it's not always its fault. Does that make sense? Like I I come up with a like a focus for my anger. And I used to do this more when I was younger. I'm getting better about it now, but I will come up with a focus for my anger and everything will go with that one thing forever. Right. And this was, this was a hallmark of my young fandom in my teens and twenties. Where did you learn that? Where did I learn it? Oh, wow. Justin, let me tell you <laughs> years of study. Are we doing a therapy session? Yeah. Have, like, I, intru- have I introduced you to my dad thing? at all? <laughs> um, yeah. So that's always sort of been my style. And, and as I've gotten older, yes, even though my therapist retired a couple of years ago, I have done some, you know, work on myself and I start to recognize these things. You gain, you don't gain intelligence as you get older, but hopefully you gain a little bit of wisdom and one day I will gain some. This is just like a little preview of the wisdom that I will one day have as I age into it a little bit. So I, I, I choose to blame one thing. Usually that's where my focus goes. And I know I'm not alone. I, I sometimes will look at the text machine and I see this one from 720 last night from the 925. I don't know where that is. The, this loss is on Tremel. Hmm. That's just a, a flat statement. This loss is on Taylor Tremel. It's not. The, the person knows it's not entirely on Tremel. It would have been great if he had caught that ball at the wall. And if he does, do they win the game? Probably. Yeah. I, I mean, like, it's it's a fair comment. The entire loss is not on Tremel, just the way it's not all on Munoz, just the way it's not all on Seawald, just the way it's not all on the offense that once again sputtered its way to only scoring one run until the ninth inning yesterday. All of those things are are true at the same time. But like most people, the 925, or at least like me, chooses to kind of pick one focus to blame because we're so frustrated with where this season has gone that it's easy to pick one thing. Yeah, scapegoat it. Yeah, yeah. For me last night, it was the stupid ghost runner rule. God, do I hate this rule. I've hated it forever, and I hate it even more now. Is that the reason the Mariners lost last night? No. But for all of you out there, who were defending this ridiculous rule for as long as you have saying, well, it's worked for the Mariners. Look, it's been great for the Mariners. Not this year. It hasn't. Why? Because the rule puts an unbelievable focus on executing in these weird situational parts of baseball that are not necessarily as important in the game as they used to be. I don't like it. The Mariners, this is a weird stat. Do you know what the Mariners' record is in blowouts this year? Blowouts are defined as a a game decided by five or more runs. Do you know what their record is in games decided by five or more runs? 18 and 14. 
Weird. Isn't that weird. Yeah. I cannot believe they've played in that many blowouts. They've that played in 32 weird. blowouts. But we have had a lot of those conversations where it's like, okay, they score a bunch of runs here and there. It's but I, that many? 18? I don't know. That's what it said on baseball reference, so okay. I choose to believe it. In one run games, the stat you know, they're 13 and 19, just absolutely brutal. But four and nine after last night now in extra innings. They should be good in extra innings, right? They have good pitching. But extra innings with the stupid ghost runner causes you to need to execute in this specific situation of man on second, nobody out. And that sets up all of the specific problems and points at them that this Mariners team has. It's like a it's like a giant magnifying glass or a laser that zeroes in on the exact hitting problems that this team has had all year long. They don't make productive outs almost ever. It's 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 amazing how often they are able to not make a productive out. Julio coming up in the 10th inning immediately grounds to third base. You can't decide to ground to first. You managed to do it earlier. Their inability to make productive outs when they need to is truly amazing. They don't drive in runners from third. So when you're able to move that runner in some you know weird version of the world in which you've made a productive out by actually grounding to first or second in that situation, well, then you got to try to drive in a runner from third with less than two outs, and they stink at that. So it's not like Scott should be bunting that man on second with nobody out. He's just setting them up for another situation in which they stink. So like I, you're mad at the runner on second roll yes. because your team's not good enough to take advantage of it. Mora, don't don't dig too deeply <laughs> into the reasoning behind this. That's not that's I'm not the point. Saying, I think the reason it was worked so well for them last year was because they were, like you said, they're not executing in those moments now. That's not the reason to be mad at the rule. We were the talking about directing your dumb. anger at the wrong the place earlier. The rule was always dumb, <laughs> and now it's starting Evidence to affect to me. What did you say, Justin? There's more evidence to support your point. The rule was always dumb. It was dumb last year, even though the Mariners were winning. It was dumb two years ago, even though they were winning. It's a dumb rule. Nobody is walking away from these games in the 10th inning because there's not enough action. That's when the game is most exciting. And I I don't like, I think it stinks for Paul Sewald. That's a dumb situation. Right? I mean, like, that runner's on third, one out, he gets a fly ball that Teo probably catches if he doesn't need to catch it and throw it home. Right? That that ball that wins last night, that's not an that's that's a single that doesn't matter if that makes sense, right? Uh-huh. If he catches that ball diving, it doesn't matter, right? The guy's gonna score yep. either way. Yep. And I think he probably does catch it, and it's and and now you're looking at, you know, two outs in that situation. It's a different game. I get it. So I find myself just frustrated by it, and I always do. I don't like the rule. I never have. And I think it's now, unfortunately, that, that, that loss last night, I think is, is you know, I said it the night before, they had a death knell kind of feeling to it. You put another one on top of it, as similar as it was, and and, and I love that they're playing hard. I know there are people who want to fire Scott Service and say that teams tuned him out, et cetera. I see a team that's not giving up. I, I see a team totally that is agree. absolutely still out there fighting and scrapping and trying to do the things you do to when you're still in it. And you know what? They are going to play like 20 games against awful teams in the second half. They do have an easy schedule. And maybe when they're done with Minnesota and Arizona and they, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's always possible. They're not so far out of it.
but it sure had that like <sighs> last dying gasp, right? Like, y- y- like uh, y- you've, you've you've tried to crawl to safety, and it's just like Another one last impediment you in your yeah. in your in your in your way. I, I'm more. I'm not going to say I'm with the nine two five texter about the loss being on Tremel, but I definitely that was my first thought. Was oh, there's there's the actions of a selfish player who took you out of a more competitive advantage in that moment. How was it selfish? Kelda kicking the bucket oh, to break his foot, oh, taking oh, him oh, out of the I position. Where I thought you were mad at Tremel for being selfish and missing not the ball. Not at all. He selfishly taking, didn't want to catch that ball. But Kelnick not being there was his own action. And I thought Kelnick makes that catch. Tougher catch for Kelnick. Still, still first thing that came into my head. Tougher catch. I don't know if you're right. I, I mean, I understand their logic behind it. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're right. I think it's actually probably a tougher catch for him, right? He's got to cross over in order to make that play, whereas Trammell has the has the glove on the left hand, right? So, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe that. Maybe he does make the play and the Mariners win. But I, I, I've sort of already moved past the Kelnick thing in my mind. Yeah, I think Trammell's got to catch that ball. Yeah. Just the way Teo's had a few opportunities to catch balls, just the way Julio's had a couple opportunities to catch balls, just the way this team has had a million opportunities that just barely slipped through their fingers. And I look at it and say they're talented enough and they're not executing. Brock looks at it and says they're a 500 team. Other people look at it and say ownership should have spent more money. I'm not sure that any of us are necessarily wrong, because I think that there's some elements of all of those things that are probably true. But gosh, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I watch those games and I still see a team that's perfectly capable, but has managed to shoot themselves in the foot so many times now that it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So it stinks, man. It's a, it's a lousy situation. With what, Luis Castillo on the mound, by the way. Man, and he was filthy last insane. night. He was so, so good last night, and uh, it doesn't do anything for them. Once again, they fall in Minnesota. But uh, all right, they get back to it tonight. I keep saying it, and it sounds ridiculous, but go on a little run, and all of a sudden, all of this talk goes away. But, man, that time is just tick, tick, ticking away as there are over 100 games into this season. We'll come right back, give you everything you need to know, including a little note that Mora found that has made me laugh every time I've read it. It's next. I'm Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, amazingly, it's still too early to make a full-blown declaration, but that loss last night kind of felt like a last gasp that was just snuffed out. It could have been the win of the year, or at least the most surprising. Down two to one, two outs in the ninth. They got a great single from Cal Raleigh after a really good at bat. And then the most unlikely pinch hit home run you will ever see. The next pitch to Juan. Swing a fly ball. It's on its way. It's out to right field. Pinch hit, go ahead, home run. Who? Colton Wong. And the Mariners are in front. They are stunned in the Twin Cities. How in the world? 3-2 Mariners. <laughs> Colton Wong's here in that call. Like, come on, man. I'm a major league baseball player, for God's <laughs> sakes. But everybody agrees with Aaron Goldsmith. It was absolutely shocking last night. Unfortunately, the excitement, short-lived. 
Andres Munoz gives up a double. The Taylor Trammell could have had at the wall. Second double after that scores a run. Mariners get nothing in the ninth, and then Minnesota walked it off. In the tenth, the Mariners did not have much of anything, unfortunately, despite starting with a man on second. They just don't hit well situationally. You know, Lopez is out there. We saw him at our place. Uh, you know, he's has ups and downs this year. He's got a good sinker, but, you know, our situational hitting again. They try to get that first guy over to third, but, you know, in that situation, that's the middle of our lineup. You know, those guys are the guys that we lean on to come through, and, you know, Lopez made pitches. Lopez made pitches is what he said. It sure sounded like what he wanted to say was, and they didn't. I mean, that's the heart of their lineup. You're not going to bunt those guys. Those are the guys who can hit singles and doubles and home runs. You're the you're the away team, so you don't need just one run. You're trying to win the game. I don't blame them for not bunting. I don't blame them for not, you know, doing something, playing small ball. But you got to come up and hit the ball situationally. You got to try to put something together. And unfortunately, they don't do anything like it. They waste another very good outing from Luis Castillo, who gives up just two runs in his seven innings. He struck out nine. He was very good. I was just super aggressive. His stuff was really good. He went right after him, you know, both with a fastball slider. Uh, had a good changeup going. Their left-handed hitters have been tough on us. They really have. I thought he did a nice job locking those guys down and getting as deep in the ballgame as he did. He did, yeah. Standing say they're still alive. Their play over the last week is certainly been improved but they have just about run out of time here with that deadline looming players like Teoscar Hernandez Paul Seawald would certainly have value for teams right in the thick of it so we'll see what the Mariners opt to do they play Minnesota again this afternoon here's the second thing you need to know well with the Seahawks set to report tomorrow we know at least one player that will be smiling all the way Uchenna Nuosu Played his way into a contract extension after a great first season in Seattle. He gets three more years and a nice raise with a deal that's going to be worth between 45 and $59 million. He is the one known quantity on the edge after playing in every game last year. He racked up nine and a half sacks, 66 tackles. He fits the scheme very well, and Clint Hurt just loves who he is as a person. He is a... Uh... The consummate professional, not to sound like coach talk, but you got to be around him to understand, like, this guy is first class, business all day, incredible work ethic, super, super smart. He's unselfish, you know, with his ability to go work with the other guys that surround him and a great uh, leader for young players in terms of how to conduct yourself. If you have questions and things like that, how to ask and go about it, and he can help teach guys and help them understand you know, how things get put together. I mean, I just can't say enough positive things about this cat. The human being that he is, the player that he is, and he's young, he's still, he's only getting better. You know, he's going to continue to improve facets of his game, so thank God we got him. So, so lucky. I like that they call him, that Clint calls him a cat. I can't say enough <laughs> good things about this cat. It's very, like, 1970s of him. Uh, Nuos is a good player. Is he the best player on the edge for this team? Yeah. Is that what it looks like on a big-time team? I'm kind of curious. They've got a bunch of guys who have some similar features with Hall and Mafe and Taylor, like all those guys do a lot of the same things. Nwosu did it better than any of them last year, and he certainly got paid accordingly. Only 26 years old, and uh, this does free up about $5 million in cap space, so maybe that's what they'll need in order to still sign the nose tackle that they absolutely have to have in order to make this defense function. Here's the third thing you need to know. I promised a couple of good notes. Moore sent these over last night, and I love it. The Seahawks come out on top. Remember Tyree Wilson's that name? Ring a bell for anybody who was following leading up to the draft. He was the guy who was probably mocked most often to the Seahawks with their first pick at number five. 
kid out of Texas A&M, defensive end. Uh, well, we kept saying, like, hey, he's going to have this private workout. He's coming off, uh, was it an ankle injury, right? Like, he's going to have a foot injury. He's going to have a workout. He's going to have a workout. It's going to be next week. We asked Matt Miller about it a few times. Well, he never worked out. Okay, Seahawks passed. Raiders took him at pick seven, two picks after Seattle. And guess what? He's already been placed on the non-football injury list because still hasn't recovered from that foot injury that he never worked out after. Definitely a funky situation. Glad the Seahawks didn't go down that road. And oh, by the way, the Russell Wilson trade continues to be just an absolute disaster for Denver. The fourth round pick last year, defensive tackle uh, Ioma Uozurike, uh, was suspended indefinitely for betting on games during the 22 season. That's the guy they took with the pick the Seahawks sent over in the Russell Wilson trade. How about that? It's everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. I mean, there's just too many jokes about (laughs) betting against the Broncos, right? (laughs) Like, how do you choose just one joke to make? (sighs) That trade has really turned into just a tragedy for them. Isn't it great? (laughs) <laughs> Don't you just, just love it? It's, it's something. Right, let me ask you a insult. question. Can I ask you a serious question? Will you answer honestly? Don't don't fake an answer. Both of you, give me a real oh, answer. I thought you were just asking more. Okay. No, I'm asking both of you and anybody else out there. Give me a real answer. At the at the in your heart of hearts, are you more excited for Seahawks season or for Broncos season? <laughs> don't lie. Well, Seahawks season, because I don't think the Broncos are going to do as poorly as last year. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I think I know I your don't answer. Think so. I think it would be hard for them to be as bad as last year. <laughs> well, but other things could happen. I mean, Russ could play four games and get benched by Sean Payton. True. Like the, 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 the possibility for train wreck there is still huge. Didn't you say after this year you wouldn't after last season? I thought you that. wouldn't care. I said that last year, but and then I realized I, I've already admitted that I care. It's too interesting. I've already <laughs> said it's just it is too interesting. The Seahawks are the most important team in town, and the Broncos are next, right? Like they are, they are the team that I'm following as my one B. They're fascinating, and I know so much about Russ after all these years. I can't help it. I, fair. Justin? Are you saying it's like like 60-40 you're more interested? What? I didn't say any. I didn't answer the question. What I did know. you answer? I definitely am saying Seahawks. I definitely. Definitely. Am. Definitely. You're definitely. It's easy. I don't like, I don't revel in watching people fail. Like, I just don't get that. I, I don't want him oh, to do well. Please. I just don't want your to virtue like, signaling. That's ridiculous. None of that is true. You love it just <laughs> as much as everybody else. You're just trying to come off like a good guy, no, and I appreciate that I about you. I don't like it. I love that about you. It's your it's your image. I you know what? you oh, got to protect that image, yeah. and I <laughs> have no it. problem. It's a facade. I'll give you my answer. <sighs> I am more looking forward to the Seahawks season than the Broncos. Good, but not by much. It's a very, very, very thin margin that has me excited to see what the Broncos will look like this year as well. All right. I got a poll that's all over the map. I got some around the station sound to get to as well, including Bump and Curtis talking about a defense. I tell you what, I don't always agree with those two guys, but I 100% agree with this. It's next. I'm Brock and Salk. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Hope you're having a good morning. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. We're taking a brief respite from summer. It should return again tomorrow, but we're taking a couple of days off. 
just to collect ourselves. It's like a little vacation from summer, and then you come back and it uh, picks up where it left off. I think tomorrow we'll it get was back to the good weather. Great nap weather yesterday, and I took advantage. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it was really good napping weather. I'm with you on that. It is a. Li- I feel a little <laughs> bit more guilty napping in the sunshine than I do when it's lousy out like yesterday. Yeah, it does have that like. Hmm. I'm not wasting my day. I'm just napping. There's nothing to do outside today anyway. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, we're going to go around the station. There's some good stuff yesterday and then uh, even around uh, kind of the world of sports. And I got a poll that I want to kind of dig into a little bit as well. I'll start with uh, with this. Maybe you heard this. We played it yesterday on the show. Al Woods, who's now a member of the New York Jets, a couple of years here with the Seahawks playing a nose tackle and defensive tackle, says that he's excited for the Robert Solid Jets defense because he didn't really like what he was doing in Seattle last year. Just wanted to do something different. Been in a 3-4 a long time, so I was just tired of like catching and reading. You know, I would stand on the sideline and watch other teams play, and I'm like, damn, I want to play like that. That's really fun, so that's why. Okay, so he was not having fun, apparently, here in Seattle. There's too much catching and reading for him. All right, well, bumping Curtis. Curtis was in for Stacy yesterday, had a little reaction to it yesterday, and I think I agree with a lot of this, so uh, I don't know. Maybe I won't have a lot to say afterwards, but here you go. He is not the only person we have heard in the the Seahawk world have issue with the 3-4 defense. I know Richard Sherman has talked about it a lot on his podcast. I think K.J. Wright, you know, during the K.J. Wright show last year, uh, you know, brought up his concerns with it. When you look at the differences between a, a 4-3 that the Seahawks had, had ran through the entirety of Pete Carroll's tenure and then last year going with the 3-4 defense, what did you see them having the toughest time uh, adjusting to over the last you know year or so? I think everybody saw it. Stopping that dang yeah. run, man. And here's what a 3-4 does, man. Now, they run a 3-4, but they typically have four guys on the line of scrimmage. They walk down their outside linebacker, the Russians, uh, but just the personnel is a bit different and responsibilities are a bit different. When you're running a 4-3, that even front that he's going to get over there with the Jets, you just have more guys in the box right now. Right now, just your 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 base defense, you run a 4-3 and say you want to stay too high, you still got seven in the box right now, but then you can roll that safety down and you get eight and you're great against the run. What that is going to do, that means you're dropping three and you got to be tight on the back end. I look at these uh, the secondary, and I look at Tariq Woolen, I look at Quandre Jamal, and then let's throw Witherspoon over there. If it's not Witherspoon, then it's Mike Jackson or Trey Brown. I just look at that group and go, I would be comfortable with these guys dropping into a, a thirds look and dropping three. I think they'll be fine and get to go because teams have been exploiting them inside that box. So what do you have to do? You got to clog it up. So it's um, but I also think that this defense deserves another shot at running that three four. I think that Clinton didn't have all of his guys that he needed. That's why you drafted Derek Hall. That's why you drafted Cam Young. That's why you bring over Devin Bush. Yeah, but it also, unfortunately, means that they still can't find the one thing you've got to have in a 3-4. A nose tackle. you got to have one. You can't run a 3-4 without one. And as of today, the Seahawks don't really have one. Cam Young, not really a nose tackle, more of a defensive tackle. Same with Jaron Reed. Right? I mean, like, they've got all these guys that don't quite fit the scheme. And I guess that's the part I don't really understand. I don't know that it truly matters whether you run a 3-4 or a 4-3. And a big part of me says you want to run what's less popular in the league because that gives you access to more players, right? So, Justin, if everybody is running a 4-3, 
They need a certain type of linebacker. That means there's another type of linebacker that nobody seems to want. And you might be able to get better value on one of those three, four linebackers because there are just as many of them and nobody's using them because they're all doing a different kind of a defense. That makes sense. Sure, yeah. The pool is deeper. Cause it, I'm yeah. not convinced that one scheme defensively is actually better than another. They might have some different pluses and minuses. And as Pete says, they're constantly being flexible with it. We've asked Pete about a hundred questions about this. I still don't really understand his answers. It's a three, four, four, three principles or vice versa. And maybe it's personnel and they do something different. And th- I don't I, I don't understand it. What I do know and what has bothered me for the last couple of years is this idea of oh, we're just having a lot of trouble finding guys that fit the scheme. OK, well, who told you to change the scheme? Right. I, I mean, that's the one thing I just don't get. Ah, oh, it's been really hard for us to find the right kind of defensive lineman for this scheme. OK, well, you used to run a different scheme and that wasn't a problem. Maybe go back to that. Defensive line seems like a pretty important position. I don't know, maybe second in importance after quarterback. If you can't find guys to fit your scheme, maybe you should run another scheme. And I'm not, I don't know enough about scheme. I don't pretend that I do to, to tell you what, whether I'm right or wrong on this. Maybe my take is absolutely ridiculous. I'm more, if somebody wants to come in here who truly knows the game inside and out, the scheme on defense and can tell me I'm insane. Okay. Brock has sort of said that in the past, but I just, I'm just looking at this as an outsider in this case and saying, it seems like a strange complaint for something you're choosing to do. So I don't know whether the three, four defense is a problem or not. I think the problems they've had stopping the run are more because their personnel hasn't been very good as opposed to, you know, whether they're running a three, four or a four, three. And I don't think it really, I I understand bumps point, but I don't know that you can't drop a safety into the box in either defense. The question is, are you going to be able to stop the run? You certainly look like you should have a great ability to stop the pass this year. You should be able to get to the quarterback with all the guys you got coming off the edge. You should be pretty solid in your secondary with all the guys that you've brought in, top picks, etc. You're going to be able to stop the run. And I don't know whether that's a difference between a 3-4 and a 4-3, right? I mean, like the the three fours rather that I remember have big physical linebackers in the middle, guys who would come downhill and and knock your block off as a running back. But that's not the kind of 3-4 they run anymore, right? That's not the kind of linebacker you have. You've got shorter linebackers who are faster, et cetera, not the big, nasty physical types. So I, I, I don't know how all of it fits together. All I know is stop running a scheme if it doesn't work. Just change your scheme. And I think they do a lot about everything Pete says. They're very flexible in it. They're multiple. They do a lot of things over the course of the game. So well, I'm going to choose not to focus on this. Richard Sherman was talking like he had gotten some inside information that they were pretty much, he thought, going back to more of oh, a right. system of what they I remember what that. they ran back with the LOB days. But, you know, of course, Carol wouldn't confirm that to you. But uh, he, he seemed to think that he had some information that they're they're going back to more of And yet they, they they've to. gone out and brought in personnel that they think fits the 3-4 more than the 4-3, other than the fact that they can't seem to find the defensive lineman that fits. So who the heck knows? Maybe Sherman's right. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe Pete has, you know, is, is running something <laughs> that nobody understands and it's some sort of a weird hybrid mix. But I'm going to choose not to get upset about it until I need to. So you, were, you weren't surprised to hear it, though. That what? What Al Wood said. 
Just the from a well, I was. Yeah, I didn't know that he didn't like it. I mean, I kind of assumed that Al was just trying to be nice to his new team. I get the physical side of it of like, yeah, these guys don't fit the scheme because they're not this big or whatever. I never really, I never, I never considered the personal preference side of right what these guys actually like. Well, I told you guys, I I went back and went and found some Jaron Reed sound because I had remembered him saying something similar when I was working with Wyman and Bob. And yeah, it's I, I think most guys want to be in attack mode. I don't think they necessarily love just being like, oh yeah, I'll well, just sit here and plug a hole. But sometimes that's what you need from I mean, defense. defensive linemen say that all the time. Why? Because when they're aggressive, they get sacks, they get paid. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like, yeah, nobody wants to do the dirty work, but doing it, if it makes your defense better, well, that can be a really valuable thing for the whole team. And yes, sort of the catching version of the 3-4, but I don't know whether they're going to be doing that this year either. I mean, they wanted Al Woods to do it, but I, you know what? Let's wait and see. I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over this yet. Let's uh, dig back into the Mariners as we are, what, a week away here from the trade deadline. I threw a little poll last night out of curiosity of where you guys were at. Uh, with a week to go before the deadline, what do you want the Mariners to do? Buy, sell, buy and sell. Or do nothing. Kind of interesting answers, and they were a little bit all over the map. Do nothing, of course, was the lowest. Although 14.5% is not nothing. 14.5% in the poll actually kind of surprised me. I expected that to be very, very uh, low number, but I think there's probably a group of people that say you have yet to show kind of who you are. Maybe just let this group continue. Don't buy or sell. All right. That's where I voted. Did you really? Yeah. You want them well, to do nothing? I want, I, right now, I don't think I've seen enough for them to go out and buy, and I don't want to give up on people that I think are having career low years. And I don't want to give up on people that are possibly going to be the biggest pieces of this team in the next three or four years, like a Gilbert or a Kirby. Okay, but but the two guys I've mentioned, Seawald and, and Teo, yeah. Teo's done after this year. You can give him a qualifying offer if you think he's worth $20 million. And Seawald's got one year after this. I think he's age 33 or 34. You're not willing to part with either of those guys in your scenario? I just, I, right now, and right now I don't. No. Cause and by the way, I think that's a really acceptable view. I think this I think this has more merit than than you think. Well, not than you think, Justin, but than other people think. You've obviously voted for it. But if you look at it and say, All right, I don't want to trade Seawald, he's still gonna have value next year, and I expect to be good again next year. I don't want to trade Teo. Because August, they play so many lousy teams that if they're three and a half, four games out in August, which is totally possible in the next, what, six days here or so, wouldn't you want to still have a player like that who could who can help you down the stretch, hit home runs and warm weather, et cetera? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Now, now if I still had seen May and June, Teo, I don't think I would be saying this. But he's actually playing pretty well, yes. and I don't know how much you would actually get back for him. So I think there's a, a lot of validity to the do-nothing idea. Straight up buying 20%, that would be hard for me. It would be hard for me to, to, to see this team just straight out buying, because that's rentals. That, when you say just straight up buying, that is trading prospects for veterans. And I don't know that I could justify that based on what they've done this year. I don't know that they've been good enough for that. Ryan Roland Smith on the station yesterday agreed with that point. They're not going to go after rentals. It's not in their philosophy. They're not going to go after, a say, a Jock Peterson, for example, who is you know, a one-year deal and he's a free agent and you get him for two months. They will go after someone, if obviously if it makes sense, so they can control for at least two years after this or someone that can say, listen, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Will he be open to signing an extension? Is he is he going to have that conversation? If the agent says no, he's going to test free agency. All right, or no worries, we'll move on, make another call somewhere else. 
But I think what's going to happen, yeah, they may make, they might make some moves. You're not going to get a rental. You're not going to get that starting pitcher that's going to be a free agent um, as soon as the season's over. And a lot of people might, you know, sort of, you know, drop their shoulders or roll their eyes and then listen to this. But at the same time, look where the team's at. And I hate to say it, man. I hate to say it, but it's been a disappointing first half. Are you willing to give up some of your farm system? You're going to need these guys. It's going to cost a little bit for some of these players that are kind of in your on your radar for two months. Yeah, I wouldn't be either. I'm with him, and I don't think Jerry Depoto is in that mode either because the team hasn't proven themselves worthy of being straight buyers. By the way, if they were five, six, seven wins better than they are right now, they might absolutely be in the market for a Jock Peterson rental. They might absolutely be in the market for another starting pitcher rental, but they're not. They've lost so many of these one-run games that they've not really given Jerry that as an option. So, okay, for me, I'm probably out on straight buy. Next one on this list is buy and sell, and that's been the Jerry DePoto method probably more than anything else, right? He wants to buy and sell at the same time. Has it worked for him? Yes and no, right? I mean, unfortunately, the biggest example of this was the Kendall Graveman deal, which turned out to be kind of a disaster, And not that Kendall Graveman was any great shakes, but he was having a pretty good year. You trade him for Abraham Toro, who's done absolutely nothing, and eventually you had to give him away. Uh, You get back a day or two later, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, The big righty who's been down at AAA all year. Uh, Sadler? No, no, the pitcher, the reliever. I'm just, the kid who came from Tampa, I'm just blanking on his name. But you know what I mean? uh, Castillo? Castillo, yes. Thank you. You get back, you get back. Already forgot about Castillo. Uh, I went and checked his numbers the other day because I was watching all these, you know, Baroa and Campbell and all these guys come up. And I was like, where the heck is Castillo? Right? They sent him down this year. That He started the year with the club. Yeah. Like, where is he? Why don't they bring him back? He's got like a six and a half ERA at AAA. Yikes. He's been absolutely awful. So I don't know what's going on there. But that, that deal just never really materialized the way he wanted it to. But you look at other deals he's made like that. You know, the Hanniger deal and um, the Ty France deal. I mean, like some of those have worked out pretty well. So my guess is this is the direction they try to go where they're selling on players like Seawald and Teo, but they might be looking for other young veteran players at the same time. Did you put Murphy in that category too? Uh, If somebody was interested in him, I don't know how much value he would have. I think the guy on that list who might have the most value is Paul Seawald. You get him for not just this year, but next year as well. He's been really good now for into a third straight season. That's not a fluky reliever at that point. That's a guy who actually knows what he's doing. And, you know, that's a really valuable commodity down the stretch and into the playoffs for teams that are looking to win a World Series. So well, that's why I don't want to see him go, but wouldn't you because okay, they're not they're not the Kraken. They don't have like young guys that they really have waiting in the wings, at least not offensively mm-hmm. right now. And I don't think this is a very good free agent market coming up. It's not. It? So don't you maybe want to make some moves looking towards next year? Absolutely. While you have someone with some value. Yep. And I and I understand this buy sell thing, right? And I don't think I could straight sell and not. I mean, straight selling is getting young prospects. They're not going to do that. Could they be just selling? And by the way, that was the most popular answer. Thirty five percent say just sell. And I get it. I think some of them think that I meant sell the team. And so they were very upset and just <laughs> kind of wanting the Mariners to sell in whatever way was humanly possible. Um, I, I I don't think they can just straight sell for young players, meaning like single A players. But I think that if you're getting guys that are essentially major league ready, you're in a window with Julio. You can't 
you, you can't be just looking too far down the road. But here, let me play you this from Ruben Amaro Jr., who's a former GM. He was with, what, the Phillies, et cetera. And uh, Amaro has this trade scenario that he uh, laid out there yesterday for the Mariners and Cubs. First in bubbles. Next up, Seattle Mariners. Yeah. The, Jerry DePoto likes to make moves. He does like to make moves, and he will make moves. But I, and, and I do believe he's going to be buying. I think some people will think that he's probably going to be selling. Mm. I think he's going to be a buyer, and I think he's going to go get a guy, and they need some bats. Yeah. Cody Bellinger is my guy, and he's going to move him for Eugenio Suarez because yeah. they don't that, that becomes like an extra for them. I don't necessarily like to take major league guys off your major league club when you're buying, mm-hmm. but in this situation, I, I don't think it's a problem and then you get the kid uh emerson hancock obviously because i believe that the cubs really need some some more pitching um he's a very good quality uh prospect he's pitching in double a right now the number four guy in, in in their system and i think that's just a, that would be a, a you know a win-win for both of these organizations hard to take it seriously when you can't pronounce the name but i will say that's a bad idea <laughs> Eugenio Suarez and Emerson Hancock for cody Bellinger. yeah i don't think i could buy into that one and uh, it's not that i don't like bellinger i think he's a good player but I think he walks at the end of the year. Why, why would you trade a Eugenio Suarez for a rental bat? And by the way, I'm not opposed to trading Suarez. Like in the right deal, absolutely you would move Suarez. In the right deal, absolutely I would move Emerson Hancock. Not, not married to either of those and players. Of and if Cody Bellinger wanted to be here longer than two months, that'd be great. Are you going to trade for two months of Cody Bellinger? No thanks. I don't. I don't see that as a, a very realistic possibility. Not. Not even at all. So looking frankly. looking back to last year in the Castillo trade, when he signed or when we traded for him, did you have at that? Did you have that feeling of like, oh, they're going to sign him to a long term deal this season? Well, I knew that it was a possibility. I didn't know it would happen as quickly as it did. And you don't. But think when they traded for him, he had two and a half years on his deal. Yeah, that's true, dude. That's why you gave up so much. Yeah. You're not giving up your two prized prospects the way they did for a rental. That's not the market anymore. You're giving up those two prize prospects because you were getting two and a half guaranteed years of Castillo, and then you tacked a few years onto it. That's why you do it. People complain, oh, oh, you're, you're always worried about money and value. It's not about money and value. It's about control. It's about how long you've got those guys that you know they're going to be on your team so that you don't give up valuable prospects, valuable assets, only to see them walk away. Yeah, it's uh, I, you can't let that happen, which is why, for me, Cody Bellinger is just not the best fit, unless there's something I don't know about, unless that option is different than what I understand, which says that, you know, it's a mutual option, meaning either team could walk away from it. And I don't I don't want to put him in a position to be able to walk away if I'm giving up that much for him. Yeah, especially when Jerry's already told you, looking at players who... Yeah, they think they can sign for a longer. This isn't a short term. He's not a short term rental guy. They're, they are not a short term rental team right now. Yeah. And yeah. they could be if they had played differently, but they're not. 10 games that's, up. That's unfortunately not the spot that they put themselves in. Hey, I had this sound yesterday and I, I meant to play it and I didn't get an opportunity. We spent some time talking about Taylor Swift, uh, who, by the way, tweeting yesterday how much she loved Seattle. I really felt like she meant it. It felt like Seattle was her spot. <laughs> and you're a part of it. Yes. Like it really made me that. feel it made me feel good, uh, that emotional connection. So uh, the Mariners <laughs> played a little. Did you tell her that you think the reign of men is over? <laughs> by the way, I was talking to a friend of mine last night who you guys know, and he absolutely Absolutely, one hundred percent agreed with me on that. Okay. I got a, I got a text about it last night from a friend who was listening to the podcast. Did they well. agree? Yeah, it's it's true. Men are the worst, I was... dude. We're done. <laughs>
We're absolutely done. Anyway. And the correlation between um, deadheads and Swifties was it was a funny comment that this person made here. <laughs> I like well. the idea of them hanging out together. Anyway, Mariners players were asked to guess whether it was Ichiro or Taylor Swift. What it's a line from her song and they have to guess who said it, oh. whether it was Ichiro or Taylor Swift. Here you go. Here's a little of this. Your future has possibilities that you cannot imagine. So embrace it by giving your best without putting Ichi. That sounds like something he would say. Ichiro. I'm all over it. I can probably see both of them saying it, but uh, I'm going to go Ichi. I'm intimidated by the fear of being average. Ichiro. <laughs> okay, this wish. That's Ichi. No, that's Ichi. Seattle, that was insane. Thank you to the people who came out to see us tonight. Taylor Swift? I reverse psychologist. For, I use reverse psychology. Or you try to use it on me. <laughs> to see us tonight. Ichiro. She, I thought she's coming to Seattle tonight. She ain't never been here before, I thought. I'm going to go with Ichi. When was she here? I just said Ichi to all these questions. <laughs> this is a bad interview. They all say they, they all sound like Ichi. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Poor Ty France. <laughs> the end. He just kept saying Ichi. He was not, not impressed with the interview. So. <laughs> That's a good idea. It is a good idea. Apparently, they uh, they sound very similar. How come we didn't put together that game? We we really missed out on that it's opportunity. Sad. It kind of inspired me for a game later. We're gonna try oh good. To, we're gonna try to go back to some quotes of things we said last year okay. and guess who said what. Oh good. We're gonna do that at nine o'clock. Who said what for the first time ever? Debuting on the Brock and Salk show. Coming up next, Brock is in. Seahawks make a move yesterday ahead of training camp starting tomorrow. What does it mean for their future? We've got answers coming up next.